Well, good morning, everybody. N nice to have you here. And uh, if you're watching online, a very special welcome to you. Uh, I was going to say thank you to Karen and Alex and Miller for the way they introduced communion, but some of them have done a runner already, but that was cool. Uh, my name's Murray Susted, and I'm part of the leadership team here. In 1986-87, Christine and I lived in Neuchâtel, Switzerland. We were there studying French in preparation for mission work in Africa. And it was a really nice period of our lives. We attended a, an evangelical church called La Rochette, which wasn't too dissimilar to this church. One Sunday, as we were walking to church, I was aware that we were down to our last five franc. Five franc, about five dollars. That was all we had, nothing in our bank account. And as we sat at church, the offering bag got handed around. And I could see it coming, and I almost broke into a cold sweat. I mean to say, what was the prudent thing to do? Surely keeping the money was wise? However, I sensed in my heart that God was sending me a little test, or sending us a little test. Would we trust him with the little money that we had? As the offering bag got closer and closer, that poor five-franc note got screwed up in my hand. And then finally, the bag was in front of us, and I um, lifted my hand and dropped that five-franc note into the bag. Christine looked at me as if to say, I'm glad you did the right thing. Like New Zealand, mail doesn't get delivered on Sundays in Switzerland. As we went home and into our apartment building, we checked the letterbox, nevertheless. And in it was an envelope. And in the envelope was no letter, but there was a 20-franc note. This morning, we're going to continue in our series entitled On the Road. And I'll speak of different people that Jesus encountered and who, as a result of meeting him, were challenged to make a decision regarding him. And I will be making that same challenge to you a bit later this morning. Our text today is from Luke 19. So let's turn there now and we will read this passage together. Luke 19, 1 to 10. And hopefully... We'll get it up on the screen at some stage. Here we go, I'll read. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, 
since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to him, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Our passage this morning introduces us to Zacchaeus, whose name means pure or righteous. We learn from the text that he was a chief tax collector, that he was wealthy, that he was short, and that he lived in Jericho. Sitting between Jerusalem and a major trade route to the east, Jericho was a great location for collecting taxes. Zacchaeus probably didn't collect the taxes himself, but as chief tax collector, would have employed others to do that. He got wealthy by charging more tax from the people than he had to give to the Roman authorities. Being a Jew and collecting taxes for the Romans did not make Zacchaeus popular. Consider this tax, for example. And you're not going to be able to consider it because you won't be able to see it. But it's called Fiscus Judaicus. And this tax was a tax that the Romans levied on the Jews to pay for the upkeep of the Temple of Jupiter, which was the main Roman temple in Rome. Imagine being a Jew, paying a tax for the upkeep of a Roman temple while your temple lay in ruins. It was intended as a punishment and humiliation for all the Jewish people, so you can imagine how much they hated it. And I think it would be fair to say that as a result of taxes like this, that Zacchaeus was not the flavour of the month. In verses 3 and 4 we read that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short he could not see Jesus over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a figamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Notice that the word see is repeated three times in this verse. Why? The previous story that Luke told was about a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. Although the crowd tried to stop him from getting the attention of Jesus, he called out all the more, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus asked for the man to be brought to him, and then he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The beggar replied, Lord, I want to see. Do you note the similarities between these two stories? Both men wanted to see Jesus. Both were hindered by the crowd. And only through their persistence did they see Jesus and find salvation. The beggar was blind and poor, while Zacchaeus was short and rich. The irony was, though, that though the beggar was permanently blind, he saw things that sighted people didn't. He saw the power and the compassion of Jesus, and that is why he cried out even though the crowds tried to silence him. By comparison, Zacchaeus could see Jesus, but he couldn't see what Jesus could do for him. So he chose to remain silent, and the chance of salvation almost passed by under him. Earlier on in Luke's Gospel, there are other accounts of people seeing or not seeing Jesus, or who Jesus really was. Think of the accounts of the demon-possessed people mentioned in chapters 4 and 8. When Jesus appeared before them, they cried out, You are the Son of God! Or, falling at his feet, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In other words, the demons recognised who Jesus was immediately. Now contrast that with the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were part of the large crowd that were following Jesus. Although they had spent most of their lives studying the scriptures, they failed to see that Jesus was the Son of God. So in our text today, Luke is challenging us to ask the question, why can't Zacchaeus see what the blind man does? Maybe it was on account of his height or lack of it. Being short meant that he was always being looked down on both literally and figuratively. At some point, Zacchaeus probably wanted to show everyone that there was more to him than just his lack of stature. So he worked hard and he became a tax collector. But not just an ordinary tax collector, a chief tax collector. As a result, he became very rich and achieved far more than he expected However, as a result of his success and how he obtained it, the Jews hated him and looked down on him. So what changed things for Zacchaeus? Let me suggest three things. Firstly, Jesus looked up when he spoke to Zacchaeus and no one had ever looked up to him. Jesus saw him as he really was, a unique person of inherent worth despite his size. He saw in Zacchaeus things Zacchaeus didn't even know about himself. 
Secondly, Jesus initiated conversation with Zacchaeus and called him by name. He was friendly to him. And again, Zacchaeus was not used to people being friendly to him. Thirdly, Jesus told Zacchaeus that their meeting was not by chance, but it was part of the divine mission that God had set out for Jesus. When Jesus said, I must stay at your house today, instead of, could I stay at your house? Jesus was showing that this meeting was part of God's plan. In John 14, 31, we read, Jesus said, I love the Father and must do exactly what my Father has commanded me to. There was urgency about Jesus meeting with Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house today. And for his part, Zacchaeus responded quickly and enthusiastically as he came down immediately and welcomed Jesus gladly. But the crowd following Jesus did not agree with Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. He has gone to be a guest of sinners, they said. And that's what they said when, he, when Jesus went to eat with another tax collector named Levi, as recorded in Luke 5, 29 and 30. Then later on in chapter 15, Luke shares three parables Jesus told in response to the Pharisees who muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He told the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. It's interesting to note that all three of these parables end with celebration, eating and rejoicing together. This fellowshipping together had a far deeper meaning to the Jews than our more casual get-togethers over a meal do. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were dedicated to upholding the purity of the Jewish faith and life. Their teaching about the law and tradition taught them about purification rites and separation from all those whose moral or ritual purity might be in question. So for Jesus to sit down and eat with sinners and tax collectors, where there was mutual acceptance and genuine love, was abhorrent to the Pharisees. We get a, a clearer glimpse of the gulf that existed between the Pharisees and everyone else in Luke 18, where Jesus told another story of a Pharisee and a tax collector going to the temple to pray. The parable starts off with this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But the tax collector would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, 
Have mercy on me, a sinner. At some point during the meal with Jesus, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, what on earth made Zacchaeus say that? There is no hint that Jesus had asked him or told him to do it. Giving away half his wealth to the poor and repaying anyone he had cheated four times was excessive. According to Leviticus 5 and 16 and Numbers 5 and 7, only the amount, the amount stolen or taken plus one-fifth had to be repaid. Without Jesus saying a word, Zacchaeus made this extravagant offer. Why? According to what Luke had written earlier in his epistle, how someone uses or treats their possessions is a major indicator to their spiritual condition. Last week, Nick spoke on the cost of being a disciple, taken from Luke 14. And there we read, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, everything you have, cannot be my disciples. Again, when speaking to the rich ruler in chapter 18, Jesus said, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, for he was very wealthy. Money and possessions can be a barrier to us giving ourselves fully to God. We somehow think that whatever we acquire is down to our own good business acumen and money management and not because of God's goodness, generosity, and grace to us. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, there is nothing wrong with money. We all need it. It's the love of money that is the problem. It's seductive, with much always wanting more. The God we serve is a jealous God, and he wants our love and our full devotion. He doesn't want to be competing with our money, sport, fashion, work, cars, or houses. He wants us. When we put God first in everything, he delights in spoiling his children. I can remember a conversation we had at our dining table with Gary and Uncle Tissing about 20 years ago. They have been serving with YWAM since the 1970s. Gary said, 
Don't feel that you have to give to your children lots of money because you didn't have much when you were growing up. If you do, and this is the key, if you do, you deprive them of the joy and privilege of experiencing God's provision for themselves. Have you experienced that provision? While in Africa, many missionaries came to Christine for counsel and advice regarding things going on in their lives. As Christine's background had been in clerical work, this obviously got us thinking. We returned from Ivory Coast in 2000 and settled back here in Cambridge. The idea of training as a counsellor didn't go away, so Christine contacted Bethlehem Institute in Tauranga and inquired about the fees. At that time, they were $9,000 per year. As we were as poor as church mice, that seemed like an impossible amount to us. However, we both sensed strongly that this was something God wanted Christine to do, so we sat on it and prayed about it. A few weeks later, we got a call out of the blue from a couple that we had worked with back in the 1990s. They were 20 years younger than us, and we'd had no contact with them in the intervening time. They asked if they could pop around and see us. We sat at the table and chatted over a cuppa, as you do. Then at some point during the conversation, the husband turned and looked at Christine and said, if we were to give you a cheque for $9,000, would that have any significance to you? Wow. Can you imagine their joy and their excitement on hearing Christine's story? What a confirmation for them that they had heard God clearly when they were praying about what they should do about the inheritance they had received. And obviously, we were pretty stoked too. I wonder if this generous provision from God was somehow related to our five-franc lesson in Switzerland 15 years earlier, when God had challenged us, can you trust me with your finances? When confronted with the presence of the holy, righteous Son of God, Zacchaeus became aware of his own sin. His response was immediate and decisive. By offering to give to the poor and to repay those he had stolen from, he showed that he both recognised and acknowledged his sin and guilt. Zacchaeus' offer to make amends was instant. It was genuine, it was sincere and generous, in stark contrast to the rich young ruler who went away sad. The change that took place in the heart of Zacchaeus following his, account, his encounter with Jesus was dramatic. It was like night and day, black and white, life and death. Last Sunday, as Brenton introduced communion, he said something along these lines. 
It's only when we see Jesus as he really is that we can see ourselves as we really are. If the Jesus you have come to know through your upbringing is a harsh, stern, disciplinarian that you can never seem to please, I would suggest that you are not seeing Jesus clearly. And if Jesus is your buddy, a nice, PC-friendly, light, diet version of Jesus who just accepts your failings and turns a blind eye to your sin and disobedience, again, I would suggest that you are not seeing the Jesus that Luke is portraying in his gospel. As we have heard this morning, the religious leaders that were part of the crowd were critical of Jesus because he did not match their expectations. The God they followed would not spend time eating with sinners, with prostitutes and tax collectors. The rich young ruler would not give up his wealth in order to find true riches in Christ, and he went away sad. The blind man couldn't see, and yet through the eyes of faith, he saw Jesus as he really is. And as a result of that, his life changed forever. When Zacchaeus stopped under the tree and sorry, when Jesus stopped under the tree and called out to Zacchaeus, he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. As a result of that encounter, Zacchaeus, for the first time in his life, experienced real love, forgiveness and acceptance. In this Lenten series, we are following Jesus as he walks towards the cross. Throughout this journey, we are being challenged to see Jesus as he really is, and not how we want to see him, or maybe as he has been portrayed to us by some Christians, churches, or our current culture. As we journey with Jesus through Luke's gospel, we have the opportunity to recalibrate our lives as we come up against the plumb line of truth, of faith, and Christian behaviour as displayed in the life of Jesus. For all of us, sin, pride, self-righteousness, criticism, cynicism, Despondency and doubt can creep into our lives. And this season of Lent offers us a time of reflection, of repentance, and of renewal. Jesus invites us to count the cost of being his disciple, to understand that it is only in giving up the things we hold so dear that we gain so much more. Six years before he and his four missionary colleagues were martyred as they tried to take the gospel to the Orca Indians of Ecuador, 22-year-old Jim Elliott wrote the following. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. As Zacchaeus, his family and friends were enjoying a meal with Jesus, Zacchaeus suddenly saw Jesus as he really is, 
And his response was immediately. Standing up so that everyone in the room and possibly the crowd that was around the house could see him. He said, look Lord, here and now. Confronted with the purity, the holiness, the majesty and the love of Jesus, Zacchaeus became acutely aware of the depravity of his own heart and he was compelled to repent, to pay back, to make amends for what he had done wrong. Zacchaeus was producing fruit in keeping with repentance. In doing so, he was saying in effect, Jesus, I now see that you are the Son of the Most High God, and here and now I give my allegiance to you. I no longer want possessions, power or pride to rule me. Rather, I want to be led by the Spirit of God and experience more of you and your cleansing, your forgiveness, your love and acceptance. So what about you this morning? Are you willing to deal with your sin and accept Jesus as Saviour? Are you ready to rededicate yourself to him so that you too can experience more of his cleansing, more of his forgiveness, more of his love, acceptance, mercy and grace? The last verse of our text this morning says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And 2,000 years later, Jesus is still seeking and still saving. 2 Peter 3 and 9 tells us that Jesus is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God is graciously giving us more time to repent before it's too late. As Nick and the youth band come up now to lead us in the last song, can I invite you to stand together? Last week, Nick gave us a couple of minutes to respond to his message, and I want to do the same today. As I've been preparing this message over this past week, the words... Zacchaeus stood up and said to Jesus, here and now have been, impressed, have been impressed on me. Where is a better place to acknowledge our sin and our need of God than here in this place? And when is a better time to do it than now? So if God's Spirit has been speaking to you this morning and if the eyes of your heart have been opened to the things of Jesus or if you're wanting prayer or you want to put things, with, things right with God, as our worship team leads us in this final song, why not make your way to the front as a sign to say, I want to do this here and now. I want to put things right with you. Why not today? Thank you, Nick and team.